are returning this morning to our series for the summer, Clothed in Christ, and looking at the various ways that this metaphor is used throughout Scripture. Uh, including this sermon this morning, we have three more uh, to go. As advertised, next week will essentially be uh, a more literal look at the question, how then shall we dress? What does the Scriptures have to say about actual clothing? and not just the metaphor thereof. But we've got that one and then one more in addition to this morning. In the first half of this series, we uncovered how this metaphor of clothing is employed to show us how, in fact, we must be clothed by God himself. We cannot clothe ourselves. We have to be clothed by God. We have to receive it from him. We have to be clothed in Christ unto salvation with gladness. But then, as we kind of worked our way through Scripture, we saw that there's an additional way in which the metaphor is used by the writers of Scripture. It essentially turns and it becomes not only the reality that God needs to clothe us, but that having been clothed by God, we then have the responsibility on a regular basis, if you will, of taking off and putting on clothing. That's what we do every day, and that's why this is so prominent in Scripture. It's something that's very familiar to us in concept and in reality. And, and the metaphor then begins to be used to tell us what is our responsibility, what do we need to put on. And we looked at a couple of places in Scripture that provide for us kind of a list of the things that we should be putting on. Not an exhaustive list by any means, but think back to the passage from Colossians a couple of weeks ago where we were told by Paul to put on compassion, to put on humility, to put on kindness, and to put on most of all, above all else, to put on love, to put on righteous deeds, in the book of Romans to put on Christ himself. That's the calling that belongs to us as the people of God. We have a responsibility, a God-given responsibility, having been clothed, dress yourselves. Clothe yourselves. And today, uh, as noted, we are coming to perhaps one of the more familiar examples of the call to put on that we find in Scripture. What was it now? Three weeks ago, we looked at the call to put on humility as one example, and today we're looking at putting on the armor of God, and I'm going to let those two things suffice to show us what the Scripture means when it says put on. Put on the whole armor of God, the panoply of God, and panoply is the actual Greek word that's used here. It'll be in your final hymn this morning as we sing it together. But the idea of panoply is simply whole armor. That's what it means. Every piece of the armor of God, it is responsible for us to put them on. So I've got a collection of texts that are in your bulletin this morning because I thought that's the best way to show us the comprehensiveness of this idea of putting on the armor of God. I'm going to read for us, and you can follow along then with me in your bulletins. We'll start with the one that is most familiar to us, 
in Ephesians 6, and then we'll move on to some others as well. This is the word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. Having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. See the picture? Paul is wearing chains. And speaking of wearing the armor of God. Now, Romans 13, a passage that we looked at, uh, particularly verse 14, a couple of weeks ago, instrumental uh, in the conversion of Augustine, but picking it up in verse 11 this time. And one thing to note before I read it is you're going to see introduced into the, the thoughts about the armor of God a couple of other metaphors that are prominent throughout Scripture, uh, darkness and light, night and day, drunkenness and sobriety. All of these things kind of parallel and give us similar thought processes, and you'll see that in this passage and the next as well. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And Paul writing to the young church, Thessalonica, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And then one final passage from the book of Revelation. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. This is the word of our God. Lord, we pray that you would give us sensitive hearts today to your word. Help us to hear 
the things that you have for us and help us in hearing to then seek after you, our God and Savior. Help us to understand this and live it in Jesus' name. Amen. Clothes make the man. Do you remember that line? It was uh, one that I used at the very beginning of this series. And we noted that the phrase, clothes make the man, are, uh, is a phrase that would be used in advertising, particularly for men's clothing stores. Periodically, they'll pick that up and say, clothes make the man, and they'll advertise uh, their wares based on that. Perhaps originating from Shakespeare, and made hilarious by Mark Twain in twisting uh, the quote as he uh, is wont to do. But one of you pointed out to me, uh, that which I either didn't know or had forgotten somewhere along the way, that Clothes Make the Man is actually the title of a short story. And when I say a short story, it's a two-page story. So it's a, it's a very short story. It's a, it's a French writer, Henri Duvernois, who wrote right about the turn of the, the, from the 1800s to the 1900s, somewhere in there, wrote the story, Clothes Make the Man. And in the story, the idea of the story, there's a, there's a main character in the story, and his name is the boss. And the boss has a plan for how he is going to succeed in robbing a house. And he gathers up two things. He gathers up two accomplices, one of whom will go into the house with him, and a second accomplice named Tango. And for Tango, he has procured a police uniform. And so the idea that's going to take place is the two men, the boss and the other, are going to go in the house and rob the house, while Tango will sport the police uniform and pace back and forth in front of the house, as if he is working that beat. And of course, the result of that would be that, okay, maybe no other police will stop by, or if so, everybody would think everything's under control and just continue to pass on by. So that's the plan. Tango, though, is a bit dim-witted. And so they go inside to do the robbery. Tango is in his police uniform, and he's outside of the, uh, of the home when a police officer approaches him and he wonders what's going to happen at that moment. And when the police officer approaches, the police officer salutes him, he returns the salute, and he thinks to himself, man, I must look pretty good in this police uniform. The next thing that happens is uh, he sees an old woman who is trying to cross the street and he's having difficulty, and so he goes and assists her. He goes and stops traffic and She's full of praise and she's full of thanksgiving. And he says, ma'am, that's just what we police officers do. Well, he goes back to his post and up comes to him a man who is drunk and who curses him and spits on him because the man doesn't like cops. Well, Tango takes this man and he takes him over to a place where he can be arrested. In the meantime, the boss and the other accomplice come out of the house at the same time Tango is returning, and the boss is furious. He's furious at Tango for having left the post, and he's yelling at him, saying, what are you doing about this? And of course, you see where this is going. Tango puts his whistle in his mouth, blows the whistle, and says, I arrest you in the name of the law. Clothes make the man. Now, the story is limited, of course. There are uh, plenty of people in this world, people you know, people I know, who wear nice clothes and they are absolute heels. 
And there are plenty of people in this world who wear absolutely horrible clothes of whom the world is not worthy. Biblical ethics fundamentally work inside out, not outside in. That said, that said, this metaphor is used in scripture. It's used to teach us some things. How we view ourselves matters. And how we view ourselves connects to what we wear. They speak. And scripture's trying to say, when you look at yourself, you have to look at yourself in a certain way. You have to clothe yourself in a certain way. And we have a biblical responsibility then to dress ourselves and to comport ourselves in a manner that is consistent with the station we hold and with the image of the one in whom we are clothed. We are clothed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we must comport ourselves and wear that clothing in a way that is worthy. And while, as we have seen in this series, the clothing of Jesus runs the gamut between the clothing of humiliation and the clothing of exaltation, one of the unmistakable things that we can say about the descriptions of the clothing of Jesus is that he is clothed as the divine human warrior. Now we've looked at a variety of passages. One of the early ones that we considered together was Psalm 45, which is a psalm celebrating the royal wedding of a king. But when the king comes to the wedding, when he arrives at the wedding, he's not wearing a tuxedo. He is, in fact, wearing the fine garb of a warrior. He's got his sword girded on his side. We are celebrating and singing of his victories. He looks like an officer ready to meet his bride. He is a sharp arrow, a polished arrow, as he goes into his wedding. And of course, our Lord Jesus Christ is so clothed himself. And the, the second hymn that we sang today, where the, the, the idea was there of gird on your mighty sword. Come now incarnate word, gird on thy mighty sword. Strap it on. Be ready for warfare on our behalf. And as he comes to accomplish our salvation, to deliver us, to fight the strong man who holds us captive, well, he dons the uniform of a soldier. That's what you saw in all of those Old Testament passages that were read for us. In order to accomplish our salvation, he has to take up the weapons of warfare and wear those as his. And so whether it's the footwear or the breastplate or the helmet or the cloak or the belt or the sword, he is a polished arrow shot into the world at the fullness of time. Or to say it in another way, he's clothed in the armor of light. Light is the armor that he wears to accomplish our salvation. The first hymn that we sang today, robed in light, girded in might. That's how the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world. And we, having been clothed in him, are to clothe ourselves like Jesus. 
But it's the then, having been clothed in him, you are to clothe yourselves like that, like this Savior. That's Paul's point. That's what he's trying to say to the Ephesians, to the Thessalonians. Clothe yourselves in the full armor of God. Now, we have to say this again. I, I hate to keep repeating it, but we have to. To be absolutely clear about this, Paul is not asking the Ephesians or the Thessalonians or us. He's not saying to us, listen, go down to the nearest tactical gear store or to the nearest tactical gear show and pick up the latest body armor and wear that as Christians. That's not the point that is being made here. Do not misunderstand the intended symbolism that is in these passages. We are not talking today about the Second Amendment. Whatever you might think about the Second Amendment, we're not talking about the Second Amendment today. And we're not talking about being doomsday preppers. Okay, I, 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 I don't, I mean, doomsday, if you want to think about Judgment Day, uh, spiritually speaking, we should be ready uh, for that, but not doomsday preppers in the current sense of that term. The church has a different way of fighting, a different way of showing courage and of being strong. And it was shown to us by our Lord Jesus Christ and it was imitated by Paul in his life. And being strong is a good place to turn more specifically to the texts that are in front of us today because when Paul is writing to the Ephesians, his jumping off point, the reason he begins to talk about the spiritual armor is in fact that he wants the Christians to be strong. Verse 10, first verse that's printed there. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Strength is indispensable for the life of a Christian in this world. The struggle is real, the fight is intense, the enemies surround us and their weaponry is deadly. We will need to be strong if we are to stand firm, to persevere, to hold the line, to not shrink back, to resist the evil one, we will have to be strong in the Lord. In this present age, or what Paul calls this present darkness, this evil day, the Christian life is one that is turned into the wind. Everything is blowing at you. It is blowing hard in your face. The enemies of God are against you. And Paul then takes up the imagery of the soldier because the honor of soldiers is found as they stand firm in the face of the enemy. As they don't cower. As they link arms. As they say that together our strength is in the Lord, before the Lord. And we are going to have to be strong in him. And to be clear, once again, Paul is not talking about physical strength. The enemies are spiritual, and the strength is found, as he says, in the Lord, in the strength of his might. In the Lord's army, the, the smallest person here might, in fact, be the strongest amongst us in the Lord's army. Now, in addition to being strong, 
we must be sober. We must be sober. First Thessalonians verse 6. Do not sleep as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober. Verse 8. We belong to the day. Let us be sober. Now, a, a drunken soldier, even if a drunken soldier is strong, drunken soldiers are not, in fact, of much use in the day of battle. So sobriety is called for. And of course, in the scriptures and in these passages as well, we could be talking about literal drunkenness. And so if you need a reminder, here's your reminder of the day, don't get drunk. Okay, that's, that's drunkenness is not a good thing. It's not acceptable for soldiers. It's not acceptable for us uh, either. It's not acceptable in the eyes of God. But the idea here is perhaps more akin to what we would call and what is called in other places self-control and discipline. To be sober in the words of one of the Greek lexicons is to be calm and collected in spirit. To be calm and collected in spirit. You know that in the midst of the battle, it is easy to lose your head. It's easy for us to lose our head in all kinds of circumstances. And the exhortation to be sober is keep your head. Keep your head. When things get intense, keep your wits about you in the battle. For those of you who love uh, old movies, think maybe of uh, Gary Cooper in Sergeant York, if you ever saw that old movie. Keep your head. In other places, we're exhorted to put on self-control, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Greg Beale is helpful, noting that to be drunk spiritually is to imbibe too much of the world's way of looking at things. To be drunk spiritually is to imbibe too much of the world's way of looking at things. When you absorb the world, when you absorb all of the things of the world, you become drunk spiritually. And Paul says, be careful with that. And particularly for those of us who came to know the Lord at perhaps a little bit of a later stage of our lives, we've imbibed a lot of the world. Paul says, listen, be sober. Be sober-minded as you think about this if you're going to be a faithful soldier. But in addition to being strong and to staying sober, we thirdly must be alert. That is the central call of all of these passages, and I hope you won't mind me highlighting it in each one of these because we have to hear how central it is in the Ephesians text, uh, chapter 6, verse 18. To that end, keep alert. If you're a soldier, to that end, stay alert as a soldier. In the Romans 13 passage, it turns differently. The, the call there is wake from sleep. Don't get sleepy on the job because the day is close at hand. Wake from your sleep. In the first Thessalonians passage, that said in exactly the same way, let us keep awake. You have to be 
alert. And by the way, do I need to say, do I need to say this is also a metaphor, this doesn't mean never take a nap, and it doesn't mean never go to sleep. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about being spiritually alert, spiritually awake. And then in the Revelation passage that is here as well, blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on. And I think if you wanted a summary passage, even a summary phrase for the second half of this entire sermon series, on the front of your bulletin, you'll find it in four words. Stay dressed for action. That's what God wants of us. That's what's being exhorted upon us. Stay dressed for action. How easy it is for us to be lulled into spiritual sleepiness when the battle is at hand. It's even, especially, easy for some of you during sermons. It puts you right out. Don't think I don't know. I'm looking right at you. I know. How easy it is for us to be lulled to sleep. How easy it is for us to grow listless, to grow comfortable, to get fat, spiritually speaking. To grow listless in godliness and spiritual disciplines and service in doing that which is good. When God wants, when our captain demands, when the spirit empowers us for readiness, for vitality. Vigilance, energy, vigor, that's what he wants. Stay dressed for action. But in addition to being strong and being sober and being alert, we must be equipped. We have to put on the armor. Every one of you gamers who are out there, every one of you knows that if you're going to advance in the game that you are playing, that your character is going to have to collect along the way the requisite armament, defenses, and weaponry in order to advance to the next level. If you try to get to the next level without that, then you, you don't stand a chance. You know. You know you've got to get all of that. You know you've got to collect it. And that's for a fictitious character in a computer game. Spiritual warfare and the spiritual battle is not a fiction. The fact that you can't see it doesn't make it unreal. It is not a fiction. When a soldier goes into battle, the equipment is essential and it must be deliberately and carefully, correctly put on. And Paul works through the equipment, right? Piece by piece, providing us with the literal description of what a Roman soldier would wear and providing us at the exact same time the spiritual equivalent to what he is talking about, whether it be a gift or virtue, virtue or grace from the Lord. By the way, just so you know this, you don't have to press the point in any of these. You don't have to say, why is truth a belt and why isn't truth a helmet or why isn't truth a sword? Paul himself as he works through these in the passages that are before you today, he changes the metaphor from Ephesians to Thessalonians. In Ephesians, the breastplate is the breastplate of righteousness, which coincides with the passage that we read 
from Isaiah as well. But when he comes to this metaphor in 1 Thessalonians, he's changed it. And the breastplate is instead the breastplate of faith and love. So he's just trying to get us to grasp the reality as a whole. The point is comprehensive. But the point is we need deliberateness in putting on these things. We need to think consciously about putting on the three cardinal Christian virtues of faith, hope, and love. And then these other things as well. We need to think consciously about shodding our feet with the gospel of peace, about carrying the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, about not leaving home without the shield of faith by which we can quench and extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and his wiles in our lives. Or, to state it once again more collectively in Romans 13, what we need to put on is the armor of light. Does your imagination allow you to conceive of what that might be? Your imagination is okay. Your imagination is being appealed to right here by Paul. He wants to think of a way to help us to see with our eyes, at least with our imagination, what this looks like, what it means to be clothed, what it means to take up the armor of God. Clothe yourselves in the armor of light. The battle's not against flesh and blood, and our weapons and our armor are not of the flesh. And Paul's point is, we need to be equipped. We need to be equipped for the battle that goes on right now, right in this place, right now as the word of God is being preached and going out. And we need to be equipped for the day that is coming. The day of the Lord is at hand. The return of the Lord is near. But in addition to being strong, to being sober, to being alert, to being equipped, we need one more thing. We need to fight. Soldiers fight. That's the assumption here. Soldiers fight. We're called to fight. We're called to pray. And it's the most unassuming fight we can possibly imagine. It sounds like such a letdown. Pray. Take up the full spiritual armor of God. You've just walked me through the helmet, the belt, the sash, the, all of the equipment that I need. And it will be expressed as I pray. Yeah, yeah, Paul says. That's the way I want you to wield the weapon. That's what I want you to do. Pray. Pray for me. Pray for the saints. Pray for the advance of the gospel in this world. Pray that I can open my mouth. Fight. Pray. Speak and go. Speak and go. So much of the gospel battle is fought right at our mouth. Will we open the mouth to give testimony to the Lord or not? Will we take the steps necessary to learn who people are so we can open our mouth and speak to the gospel, or speak the good news of the gospel to them. We're called to pursue holiness, goodness, truth, and light. In summary, the fight is for practical godliness.
Don't underestimate the difficulty of it. Don't underestimate the forces that are arrayed against you to keep you from obeying. The most common commands that we find in Scripture. All of the warrior's forces are lined up against you. May we have a warrior's mentality as we approach our Christian walk. May we never underestimate the intensity of the, of the battle and the power that is ours in Christ, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Clothes make the man. How do you view yourself? How do you see yourself when you look in the mirror? A warrior? Jesus clothed himself in armor for the fight. Jesus has then given to you his clothing, his armor. And here's the command. Having been so clothed, put on the armor of God and stand firm. Lord, we pray that you would help us. You, better than the evil one, know our weaknesses. You, better than anyone else in this room, better than we ourselves, know how weak we are and how much we need this armor. Lord, enable us to be strong for the fight. And we pray this in your name. Amen.